If you could keep that passage open from Ecclesiastes chapter 12, that would be probably helpful. So we come to the last in our series of It's a Beautiful Life. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word is living, active, it's life-changing, it's true, it's for us, it's for our good. And even at times when it unsettles us, it is for our good. So Father, please help us to take to heart what you say to us. And help us, Father, to respond appropriately. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been on this confronting journey with the teacher as he's described in the translation of Ecclesiastes that you've got. The teacher. He's this Solomon kind of figure who is wise and he's erudite and successful. And he's been taking on the, us on this journey where he insists that we confront life as it really is. He calls it life under the sun as opposed to the life of your dreams, the life of your aspirations, the life you hope is out there somewhere but isn't really the perfect life. He wants us to engage with life as it really is. And that is a confronting experience. Because he says, if you look at life as it really is, you will recognize that everything is fleeting. So if you're going through things that are really good at the moment, fantastic, enjoy them, but bear in mind they won't last. Not only that, tragedies will come into your life. Bad things will happen. So if you build your life trying to achieve happiness, at some point you are going to be disappointed because bad things will happen. And you won't always be able to work out why. You won't be able to make sense of life. Life will always be to some extent, in fact, to a very large extent, an enigma. In fact, you will ask questions like, God, what are you doing? Why is this happening to me? Where are you? And the writer of Ecclesiastes says, the teacher says, you won't always know. You won't know what God is doing or why it's happening. And as we saw last week, he says it's really, really easy to waste your life. Your life is a precious, precious gift, but it's really, really easy to waste it. In fact, it is easier to live a wasted life than life that's lived where you discover your true meaning, your God-given purpose for your life. So it's a confronting experience because most of us want to live with our delusions. And the writer is saying, that's what they are. It's fantasy. In fact, he says, even if you got everything that life under the sun could give, if you achieved all your dreams, so you have that moment that I've described before, you get to the end of your life, 
And, you, and you're sitting up in the central coast, or you're sitting up at Katoomba, or, well, no, you go to Lura, wouldn't you? Um, you're up in the Blue Mountains, and you're looking out, or you're somewhere in the countryside, and you're looking out of the countryside, and you're sitting on your veranda, and the sun's going down, and your life is at sunset as well. And you take out your chilled Chardonnay or sparkling Shiraz as you sit on your deck and you look out. And as the sun goes down, you think of your life. Do you have those moments where you, you, you kind of have that fantasy that one day you might be able to do that and you'll be able to look back over your life and say, wow, it all makes sense now. And wasn't it wonderful? And everything I ever dreamt of has come true. It's become real. I achieved all my career goals. I achieved all my relationship goals. My children are wonderful. They respect me. Their children are marvelous. The writer of Ecclesiastes, our teacher, says, even if you get everything that life under the sun offers that's not what life is about this figure of the teacher in some ways he's a Solomon kind of figure and so I want you to imagine him as somebody who is uniquely privileged in terms of his position his king in Jerusalem his father was an extraordinary man Mixed up in all kinds of ways, but nevertheless extraordinary. Not least because of his relationship with God. He is Solomon, somebody who has power, who has influence, who's extraordinarily clever and gifted. And you get this, you get this moment at the end of the book in chapter 12 and verse 8. And it's as if Solomon is sitting on his porch and he's looking back over his life and he's saying, I devoted myself to pursuing the best that life under the sun could offer. Success, wisdom, pleasure, all those things, the best that life under the sun can offer. And I achieved them. And you know what? As I look back over my life, I realized I wasted my life. And there is that phrase that occurs time and again in Ecclesiastes, which is translated in the versions we use, meaningless, meaningless. It would be better if it was translated as, I look back over my life and see I was chasing the wind. I was chasing all those things, wonderful in themselves, but in the end they have no substance. They are fleeting. They are not sufficient to build a life on. They are not worthy enough to devote your life to in its entirety because life is about more than those things. You can have all of this, the teacher is saying, you can have the ideal house, the ideal family, the ideal job, all the money, all the enjoyment, all the pleasure that this life under the sun can offer. And those are good things. 
Chapter 2, verse 24, if you get those things, he says, enjoy them. They're gifts from God, and if he gives you the opportunity to enjoy those things, do that and thank him. But don't build your life on those things. Because if you do, you will have wasted your life. Look at me, he's saying. Look at me. Because that's what I did. And at the end of everything, I realized I'd wasted my life. So that's where Ecclesiastes has been taking us. It is, as I say, a confronting book. And so as we come to this conclusion, here's the last life lesson. Ready? Here's the last life lesson. Make the important things the important things. Make the important things the important things. That's easy to say. It is very hard to do. Because what happens is what happened to Solomon. He was distracted and chased after the things that in the end will not last. Make the important things the important things. And he is really keen that we do that. Verse 11 of chapter 12, the words of the wise are like goads. Their collected sayings are like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. God has given you these things, says the writer here. And it's like, imagine that when you go home tonight, your family have played a trick on you. And, and the bed looks as normal. And there's a cover over it. But actually, they've substituted a bed of nails. Most of us are not experienced in sleeping bed, on beds of nails. And I suspect most of us, if not all of us, would find that an extremely uncomfortable experience. You would not get much sleep. And the writer is saying, that's what this is meant to do to you. So if you're not disturbed by this, you haven't listened carefully enough. The words of the wise are like these nails pushed into you to make you think about life as it really is, life under the sun, so that you'll make the important things the important things. And by the way, don't put it off. Don't put it off. I, I've come across people from time to time and they'll tell me things like, I'm on a search. I'm, I'm exploring. And that's a great thing to do. We're all on a search and we're all exploring. And they, they will talk about the books that they're reading and then when they've read that book, they need to read another book. And there was one guy in particular I spent quite a lot of time with and every time I thought we were coming to some kind of resolution, he'd raise another issue, followed by another issue, followed by another issue. He would go off and read this, and then he'd go off and read that, and then it would be the other. And then when he'd read those things, he'd decide that that raised more questions, and so he'd read more, all kinds of other things. And he never came to any conclusion. Of the making of many books, there is no end. Stop. 
If you've understood Ecclesiastes, the writer is saying, you know enough to stop and take action. Make the important things the important things and start now. Ideally, start when you're young. Chapter 12 and verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Parents, most important thing in your raising of your children is to make them understand what the important things are. And that includes modeling to them what the important things really are. Handsome is as handsome does, as Sam Gamgee says in Lord of the Rings. Don't put it off. Act now. Make the important things the important things. Okay, so what are the things that you should devote your life to? It's really simple. Very simple. It's three things. Because the Bible is an Anglican book. There are always three things. You could think of it of having of your life as having three dimensions, three orientations. There's a vertical dimension, a horizontal dimension, and an internal dimension. Three things. The vertical is to do with the spiritual. The horizontal is to do with your purpose and it's to do with relationships. And the internal one is to do with yourself. And how you understand your experience of life. It's your relationship with yourself. Three things that are really important. The vertical, the horizontal, and the internal. And if you don't get those things in place, the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, nothing else will compensate Let's have a look at what they are. Look at what he says in verse 13. The commentator really commenting on what the teacher has been saying. He draws it all to a conclusion. Verse 13, now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments because this is the whole duty of mankind. Fear God and keep his commandments. You know, I, I used to read that and I used to think that's so clinical, isn't it? Fear, first of all, keep his commandments, do stuff. And I really didn't understand what it meant. So just as a, a way in, just to get you started, some words of Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. That's the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That sums up the law and the prophets. Fear God, keep his commandments. Is another way of saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Let's look at what that means. So let's look at this upward, the spiritual, first of all. That's got to be the starting point. It's your relationship with God. The vertical, fear God and keep his commandments. And you say, well, what about the word fear? Because some people have been brought up to be terrified of God. 
If you read something like uh, James Joyce and a portrait of an artist as a young man, there's a description of hell there, and there's also a dis of eternity, and there's a description too about God and, and what he's like and how he's watching everything. And some people have been brought up to think like that, that God is some kind of terrible tyrant who's looking to find the least thing in your life to condemn, and that's how people understand fear. That is not how we're to understand fear. It is not about terror, but it is about having a relationship with somebody who is not like us. To have a relationship with God is to respond to the invitation. This is an invitation, fear God and keep his commandments. It is an invitation for us as human beings to have a relationship with the only God. And he invites us and says, you can come. But we're being called into a relationship that is utterly overwhelming. For example, when you're drawn into a relationship with God, it will change your life. It will turn your life around for good. But having your life turned around can be very disorientating, very unsettling, a bit scary. Having a relationship with God means being drawn into his love and you say, oh, that sounds nice and cozy. Well, love isn't always cozy, is it? I, 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 please indulge me. I know I've used this example before, but I love it. In Wagner's ring cycle, just saying, the third opera in the ring cycle is where the hero, Siegfried, who is this great macho one-dimensional hero figure. He hears about a great hero who is on the mountain, surrounded by the sacred fire, and only the person who knows no fear can awaken the hero. And he's never met anybody who matches him. And so he makes his way to the sacred fire, and he goes through, because he has no fear. And there he finds this magnificent warrior dressed in all their armor, and the warrior starts to wake. And slowly, slowly, but so disconcertingly, Siegfried comes to realize the warrior is not a man, but a woman. And he begins to experience for the first time as love begins to start, he experiences fear. See, there is something about some kinds of love where you become aware of the depth of it, the intensity, where you realize this is wonderful and marvelous, but it is at the same time overwhelming. I am overwhelmed by the experience of love. When we are drawn into a relationship with God, we are drawn above all into a relationship of love and God's love will always, always be far vaster and greater than anything that you and I can imagine. And so to fear God means to be overwhelmed by his love, if you like. It is an unsettling, that pulls us together, but nevertheless, it is 
overwhelming. Paul says in Ephesians 3, as he prays, he prays that they might be strengthened in their inner being by the Spirit so that they might know the love of Christ, God's love. It's a strange prayer. Why would you need strengthening in order to begin to grasp something of God's love and begin to experience it? And the truth of the matter is because it's so overwhelming. You may recall that moment when Peter has been out fishing with the other disciples and they haven't caught anything. And then Jesus says, throw your nets on the other side and I'm sure they smirk a bit and they just do it and they get this huge catch of fish. Peter gets out of the boat and he falls at Jesus' feet. And basically he says, I'm not like you. I'm not like you. There is something awesome, something incredibly profoundly unsettling, but in a good sense, about being drawn into the love of God. And that's why it's important we hang on to the word fear, not as terror, not as coming to God, crawling to him, because he says calm but because it's being drawn into a relationship that is so transformative, so extraordinary, so deep, so profound, so unlike any other. And that's the first thing. That's the first thing we need to get into place. If we don't have that, nothing else will compensate for that. We are made for a relationship with God. And everything in our life is drawing us to that. God uses everything in your life with the purpose of drawing you to a relationship with God. And, and how does that happen? How, how do you come into a relationship with God? Well, the high point of that, the climax of that, is Jesus, isn't it? Jesus said once when he was asked a question, he said, I'm the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There isn't another way. He uniquely is the one through whom we come into this relationship with God. So here's where you need to start. You need to start by bowing the knee to Jesus by giving your life to him, by embracing him as the center of your life. And if you and I don't have that, the rest is all shadows and ephemera. Let me finish this one with some words of Jesus. He said that God's intention, God's plan, God's purpose is that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. When we encounter Jesus Christ, we encounter everything that God is. 
There is no God beyond Jesus. There is no Father to be reached, no God to be reached beyond Him. When we encounter Jesus Christ, we encounter God. And that's the most important relationship, the most important dimension in a person's life. So my first question would be this. Do you have that in your life? Is that your center, if you like? Are you centered in love? Because that's what it means to be centered in love. To have a relationship with God. Going back to the dimensions, put the vertical in place. Second one is the horizontal. And, and number two, that is the horizontal and the internal, both flow from number one. They both determine and orientate two and three. So the second one is to do with purpose. And here's the thing. It's to be outward. We are called to live for other people. In other words, your life and mine is not given to us just so that we enjoy it ourselves. Enjoy what you can while you can, but it's been given for a purpose. It's about relationships. It's not about stuff. We've already seen that in Ecclesiastes. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. If two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep alone? We are made for relationships, and we're made to give ourselves for others. Last week, I mentioned that story in Luke 12 about the rich man. Let me just remind you, if you weren't here, Luke 12, Jesus tells a story about a rich man. He's, he's, been, he's obviously done his MBA. And he's put his MBA into practice. Because I realize it's possible to do an MBA and then not do anything with it. So he's learned lots. And he's run this really, really successful business. And he's made a fortune. And so he sits back one day, and I imagine him in his 30s. He's 35, so some people think that's old, but most of you probably think that's quite young. He says to himself, I have made so much money. If I just organize things a bit now, I can live an amazing life without having to work ever again. I can do everything I want to do. I can enjoy myself as much as I can because I've made enough money. Sounds pretty all right, doesn't it? And then God turns up. And God says to him, you're a fool. You're a fool. Because you're going to die tonight. And do you know, you're not going to take any of that with you. And, and, and Jesus makes this comment. He says, the problem with this man is he wasn't rich towards God. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? So the point of the story, Jesus says, is that this man is an example of someone who was not rich towards God. He was centered on himself. It was his money in his mind. He was going to use it for himself, for his own personal enjoyment. And Jesus says he wasn't rich towards God. What does that mean? Really interesting phrase. Here's my guess as to what we often think when we hear a phrase like that. You know, he didn't go to church. So sad. We used to drive past his house every day, and there was the Jaguar in the drive, and he was going to go off and enjoy himself, but he didn't go to church. 
He wasn't reached towards God. Or we think he didn't read his Bible regularly. Or maybe he was an atheist or an agnostic. Or he didn't pray or he hadn't been confirmed or hadn't been baptized. Or maybe he led a terribly immoral life. I think that's what we tend to think. But that's not Jesus' point at all. See, if you read the passage further on, as Jesus is explaining the implications of not rich towards God, do you know where he ends up? Let me tell you. Verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. That's what he means. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not bear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail. That's what it means not to be rich towards God. You see, we are to use our life and the resources that God has given us for others. That's the point. That's the purpose of your life and mine. The vertical in place And then we live for others. And the vertical must inform the horizontal. Because otherwise, if it doesn't, we'll tend to decide who we're going to love and bless. We'll bless the people who invite us around for nice dinner parties and then we can reciprocate. We'll bless the people who are like us. We'll bless the people we like. Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good for those who persecute you. The vertical needs to drive the horizontal. Your life and mine isn't all about us. It's about giving our life for others. To bless others. If we're fortunate enough to have been given financial resources, then we are to use our financial resources to bless others. And all of us who are followers of Jesus have been given this infinite treasure of knowing God as our Father. And we are to share that with our neighbors and our friends. We're to model our lives on the model of Jesus who gave himself for others. And where did that come from? The vertical drove the horizontal. Three dimensions, I said, we're on to the last one. We've had the vertical dimension. Is that in place in your life? We've got the horizontal and finally the internal, the relationship with yourself. One of the lessons of Ecclesiastes, in case we need to be reminded, is that bad things will happen. Life under the sun is not your perfect life or mine. So how are we going to live life under the sun? How are we going to live through those experiences where we wonder what on earth is happening? What God is doing? Why this has happened to me? Whether I'm going to be able to get through tomorrow? When I look at some of the decisions I've made and I don't like myself, how do we get through that? Because that's 
life under the sun. And the reply of Ecclesiastes is enjoy what you can while you can because that's a gift, but, but. Remember everything's passing. Remember the bad things will happen. Remember that you won't be able to work everything out. You will be disturbed. You will be upset. You will cry. You will live with regret. But God is going to sort it all out. In fact, God is going to use everything that you've ever experienced and use it for your good. The day is coming when you will stand in the presence of Jesus and he will wipe the tears away and he will restore you and the wrongs will be righted, the injustices, the false accusations, the disappointments and the tragedies of life will not just be sent away, but you will begin to realize that God has used those things for your good. And you know, if you begin to grasp that and if we live by that, it should change the way we approach life under the sun. Because it means that we can say of my life, there are some things I can't change. I, I, I'm going to change what I can. You should do that. But there are some things I can't change. And I'm not going to be bitter and I'm not going to be twisted about those things. And I'm not going to live with a false guilt about those things because I know that God will handle it all. So you notice what he says in verse 14. God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. He'll expose it all and he will deal with it. And that means that we can go through life under the sun, even in the tragedies and even during the experiences when we weep, which we will, but with something of an inner certainty, a contentment. He'll deal with it all. My life here is a beautiful life. It doesn't feel beautiful but it is. It's been given to me by a loving God who is working everything for my good and his glory. And I don't see it now and I don't feel it now, but one day I will. And so I will live with that hope. And I will be contented with what God gives me that I can enjoy that's good. But I won't drive myself crazy about the things I can't change and I can't achieve because I know that he will work everything out. And I know that there's life beyond life under the sun and that's one day what I'm going to experience. And so I will go through life under the sun with a level of contentment and confidence because I know God and he's my father. I know the purpose that he has for me and I know that one day he will sort everything out. You've been given a beautiful life. A beautiful life. It's been given by a loving God 
Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Make sure you've got the vertical. Make sure you're working out the horizontal. And make sure you're living in the light of those things and of all that's to come. Let's pray. Uh, I don't know, but maybe some of you this morning struggling with particular things and maybe it would be a, a good moment for you in the quietness to say to God, I need your help. I need your help because I'm not contented in this situation I'm in and I'm really struggling. Please help me. Maybe some of you are saying, I wonder if I've got some of these orientations, they're distorted, they're, I've moved away from my true center. Life has become much more about me and life under the sun and chasing after life under the sun than it is about knowing you and about living out my purpose. Father, wherever we're at this morning, please would you work in us to do good, which is what you want to do. You are working everything to draw us to yourself, everything. And Father, may we, however faintly, in the circumstances that we're in and in what we've heard this morning from you, Father, however faint that is, may we follow that voice, follow that drawing. And may we find in you and in your purposes for us the outworking of that beautiful life that you've given to us as a treasure. And we ask this in Jesus' name.